0: to the piano player still. Take it um, over. Um I'll keep Paulson. Um Dark Habits and a mode of our podcast. Uh I'm Spencer, uh, my buddy Joel's here. Hello. Um uh, and returning guest, um he's been on every season so far. Actually he he did claim one for next season, the first first only first only person so far to claim one for next season but uh one half of the pink smoke uh, mr J. cribs
1: hey guys how's it going not I too bad doing,
2: yeah i'm doing pretty good although i'm going to have nightmares based on this movie
0: oh cuz <laughs> you're scared of uh of the coen brothers guy
2: yes i am specifically <laughs> specifically scared of uh, michael lerner yeah more and, than Zelda uh, Rubinstein? Mm. I, I feel like I'm more likely to run into somebody that looks like Michael Lerner than Zelda Rubinstein, <laughs> so.
1: Think of the spiral. <laughs> uh,
2: okay, so this
0: movie we're talking about is Anguish, which I will give a, a spoiler warning. Usually I don't do this, but this is a, a movie where I think you, if you have not seen it, uh, seek out this movie. Try not to try to go in unspoiled. Because when I first saw it, like the what it turns into made it, like really made the experience. And so I, I think this is, like this might be the only time we've ever done done like, uh, like a warning like, uh, you, you should watch this first. At least my, I think so.
1: I second that. I nice just, just could to assume that people won't listen to a podcast about a movie they haven't seen, but I guess I'm naive in that belief, but I would absolutely say if you have not seen this movie, don't listen to us talk about it. Go watch it. Absolutely.
0: Uh, j you
2: got, do you agree with this? Yeah, there's multiple reasons you shouldn't listen to this episode right away. First of all, there's going to be subliminal messages inserted throughout. And if you feel uneasy at any time, you should turn the podcast off also, uh, no, is it, just watch... Yeah, you should watch the movie beforehand because... And in blind, don't... The only thing you need to look at is the cover, and you don't even need to look at that because that's also... That'll give you... I mean, you're not going to be able to predict what happens. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so... The... Uh, I first heard this movie... Back when I used to listen to movie more movie podcasts, I listened to maybe, like, two at this point. Maybe three. Uh, but it was We Hate Movies I was still listening to at this point. And Droopin kind of randomly mentioned, there's this here's this crazy Zella Rubenstein movie called Anguish. And so I was like, Zella Rubenstein did more did more than one movie? Because I, I didn't really pay attention to, like, uh, uh, like, other stuff she did besides, you know, the famous one. And so...
1: She also did Poltergeist 2 and Poltergeist 3, Spencer. Okay.
0: and she was in an episode of Martin playing a nurse. <laughs> the episode where Pam's cousin takes takes Pam's place, and, and Pam's cousin was in, like, a as, uh, mental asylum. And they, and, and they look identical. It's a pretty good episode. That's uh, interesting. Anyway. Huh? turn
2: for Martin.
0: It was like towards the end when Gina kind of was in half of the season. Oh, because she the had leader for
2: the abuse. Yes,
0: after after a certain point in the show, you notice Gina doesn't show up a lot or if she's there, you never see Martin with her.
1: Yeah. I have heard that Zelda Rubenstein is pretty abusive towards her co-workers. Yes. Yeah. I don't mind spreading false rumors about her since she's the one who, you know, shouted that toby hooper didn't actually direct poltergeist which i'm always going to hold against her
2: yeah that's crazy really she's she's one of
0: she said that
1: yeah it was an interview with i think any cool news that uh she got that whole thing started i don't even think anyone was talking about it anymore until she said he was just smoking weed in the corner while steven spielberg did all the work and it's like fuck Mm. off (laughs) lady seriously (laughs) So that's why we all had to endure this wave of. Actually, did you know Spielberg directed Poltergeist? Ever since then, mm. I
0: used to be like that, but then
2: I reached a point where I really don't care that much personally about that. So <laughs> after seeing I'm... a couple of Toby Hooper movies, I'm like, no, that was directed by Toby Hooper. Yeah, yeah that it's that a sounds... creative
1: collaboration. A lot of a lot of movies get made that way.
0: So, uh, J Dog, have you heard of this movie before um I uh told you about the the doing this episode?
2: Hell no. Oh, then really? you, you were like go into it blind I was like, Okay and I you uh, I somehow acquired the movie and um I started it up and I was like, Oh, this okay. This is interesting and this is the most interesting movie I've seen. In quite some time, like it held my attention the entire time. Like, I almost didn't go to work because I, I hadn't finished it yet. And I was like, uh, I gotta see how this ends. Ah, okay. So no, I hadn't heard about it at all.
0: Okay. So uh, first off, cribs. When I told you about the season, and you uh, in the list of movies, you said you want to talk about this was in there, and the first, and like the first part of my response was. Well, this was going to be episode regardless because when I realized Spanish director, I was like, "Okay, perfect, perfect excuse to find to uh, do to rewatch this and talk about this." Because I don't want to talk about like any every random horror movie because this is like this is a special movie that like really needs the more attention. I think.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a weird one. I mean, I've always. I've <clears throat> always been interested in uh, Spanish horror directors, yeah, especially from the 70s and 80s, where you have, like, uh, José Ramón Lares who did Symptoms and Vampires and Deviation. You've got uh, Chico uh, Banas Sorador, I'm going to butcher all these names, by the way, who did uh, Who Can Kill a Child in the House that Screamed, and then there's Eloy de la Iglesia, who made Cannibal Man, The Glass Ceiling. So I'm a fan of all those guys, but especially moving into the 80s where you have uh, and rap, aka Rapture, and uh, mm-hmm. In a Glass Cage. And this movie, which is called Anguish, but the original Portuguese title I actually kind of prefer. It's mm-hmm. Os Olhos de cidade São Salmios. The Eyes of the City Are Mine. I kind of prefer that pretentious title. It feels like it fits it a little bit better. So mm-hmm. I've always yeah. kind of liked all of those guys, and this one just felt like... This is one of the reasons because uh, because Luna, I'm always surprised is not brought up more often because he was very he was all over the place. He was very international. He shot films in French and Italian and English and Spanish. Um, maybe that's the reason people can't really like pin him down so much. I don't think he made anything like this, you know, besides this one. I think he's most famous for making Hamon Hamon, the uh, Penelope Cruz debut film. Oh yeah. yeah, and he about to burp. He uh, made golden
0: balls. Golden a, balls with um, Javier Bardem. <laughs> the movie where he gets cucked by um, Benicio del Toro. Uh, Javier Frisa. Bardem's also in
2: Hamon, Hamon.
1: Yeah, he's in I think three or four of Luna movies. Like early mm. on. Mm-hmm. I remember. I yeah, and Maria de Medeiros from *Pulp Fiction* is in some of his films. He like had a lot of these. Actors before they came over to Hollywood, one of their yeah. debut films. Yeah,
0: but although I think uh, Bardem was in Women on the Verge before he was in a Luna movie. I, but I think I'm not sure. Is around the same time as one of the earlier ones. I think you're right. Uh, yeah, because Bardem is in like maybe two seconds of Women on the Verge, and he's like, "It's a blink, can you miss it?" Uh, yep. to catch him in it
2: let's see he was in high heels and then he's in life flash Hamon Hamon yeah. in 1992 oh. yeah we we could just go
1: through this but uh, let's continue with the movie
0: yeah okay so um uh, we got anyway, just to, to
1: breathe things around real quick to Toby Hooper hmm uh, the movie, other than this one that I know him best for, is uh, "La Teta y la Luna," "The Tit and the Moon," which stars uh, Matilda May from uh, Life oh. Force, as we all know. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I knew. Well, in high school, I knew scenes of that movie. Yeah, I never, I've never seen the the thing the full the full movie, but it's been like sure sure Between, 16, 16 yeah. years seventeen years. <laughs> Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, you can l- look up that movie. All right, looking it up. Okay, so uh, between
1: that one and Haman, Haman, I think a lot of high schoolers probably saw this director's films in increments rather <laughs> than in the full.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, I, I talked about uh, Luna a little bit, but, um, have you seen, uh, Luna died in 2013, but he can, he could work consistently for, uh, for a while, but, uh, Cribs, uh, are you a fan of, uh, Luna's work overall?
1: Uh, I've liked everything of his I've seen. I haven't seen everything. A lot of the early ones I really want to see, you know, the, uh, guy who plays the killer in this movie, not Michael Lerner, but the, uh, killer in the, Theater. The other, the other theater, mm-hmm. uh, was like his regular. He made. He had, was like the star of Bilbo in '78 and Poodle in '79, and he's mm-hmm. in his movie, Reborn, which is a Stigmata girlfriend movie with Dennis mm-hmm. Hopper and Michael Moriarty. So I'm really curious about that one.
2: <laughs> Stigmata girlfriend. Yeah. Excellent
1: band name, <laughs> right? So I haven't seen everything he's done, but based on this this alone i think yeah i would say i was a fan it's definitely for all of its flaws it's i think it makes up for it just in sheer sheer cinema you know uh something that uh, chris fundenberg and i talked about after coming back from toronto this year was you see so many films these days that don't even feel like real movies they don't have shots in them you know Mm -hmm. and this is just a movie that's all shots you know (laughs) literally has (laughs) ideas you know to spare and just like bursting with like innovation and like weirdness and interesting sound design and lighting so it's always refreshing to kind of revisit this movie and kind of fall in its trance all over again although i would recommend not watching it after you've been pounding cough syrup which is how i did last night oh (laughs) uh, a little trippy a little trippy
0: yeah a little bit um this might be a good weed movie, but I don't really do weed anymore.
2: I don't think so. No? I don't. This w- this would harsh your chill, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you would know. I didn't watch it under the influence. Uh, straight. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it had any effect on me, except for all day today, my right eye was, like, bugging me. And I was like, is this because of the movie, or do I actually have, like, a sinus infection or something? <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think it was the movie. Oh, okay. Alright, so, uh... Well,
0: uh, Joel, you're new to this movie. Um, See? what What is, um... What is this
2: movie, exactly? Well, um... I was watching it from my house, but there was an audience watching... This movie about this audience watching this movie called Mother. And in this movie, Mother, Zelda Rubinstein is Mother, the titular Mother, and her son is played by Michael Lerner. technically, it's called The Mommy. Oh, The Mommy. I, I apologize. I was, yeah. I was thinking of uh, All About My Mother. All About My Mommy. So you're thinking
1: it. of the Darren Aronofsky movie,
2: Mother. Still haven't seen that one. It's, uh, it's a movie. That's, That's I was a, I, I thought you were
1: gonna say. It's <laughs> worth watching because Michelle Pfeiffer is so good in it. She's just like, oh yeah, batting around. Jennifer Lawrence like a like a mouse, like a cat bats around a mouse. I just I think like just some real bullying acting going on in that movie. That yeah, I
0: she she plays a, an incredible bitch. It's so great. Cool. And um there's other stuff in the movie that's like I it's like, yeah, I get it. It's it's not subtle. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. It, it, yeah, anyway.
0: <laughs> Anyways, the movie
2: Mommy is about a you know, Zelda Rose's a mommy, Michael Erner's her her son who works in a hospital and assist apparently assist an optometrist within the hospital, but they have a from the beginning it is kind of weird there's a whole pigeon scene that was uncomfortable to me and they have pet snails and at a certain point it's revealed that Michael Lerner is getting some sort of weird hypnosis treatment like a psychic connection from his mother and going and killing people and taking not not their eyes like not the entire eyeball just like the front lens area or something. It's it's very graphic in its uh, removing, you know, when he's removing stuff. And as things escalate, but the whole time we're watching that movie, the audience that's watching the movie, within the movie, certain people are getting freaked out. You're seeing people reacting in a way where during these weird hypnosis trip things, they're they're kind of obviously stunned a bit and there's one main character a girl who is terrified she is terrified she's begging her friend like can we leave like and as the movie gets worse with its violence um eventually uh michael lerner john is the the character ends up at a movie theater because he is decided to take it upon himself after... Well, his mother, I guess, let, led him there, but he's taking on um, a bunch of people in the movie theater at one time and just kind of goes full nut bar. So let's go back and to the other movie theater. Oh,
1: please. It's, it's important to note that 22, it's 22 minutes into the movie that it's revealed that the mommy, that what we've been watching the whole time with Michael Lerner and Zelda Rubenstein is a film that's being watched by other people. Mm -hmm. Great reveal. Yes.
2: I was kind of like, Oh, okay. And we, we flashback between the movie and the movie within the movie. But eventually the very scared girl convinces her friend to go inspect the bathroom after she thinks she sees uh a guy in there a guy she's already kind of suspicious of so when her friend goes out finds a bathroom nobody in there but while she's in there that certain man comes back to the theater and begins killing people and i guess the movie's know, so noisy nobody can hear him you know whatever movie plots So she was right about him, just not right in the same way, or was she right in the same way? Because the man seems to be hypnotized by the movie itself, and things escalate there. Eventually, things start matching up in the movie, and the movie within the movie, in a kind of a very scary way. Like, I was actually—the movie Mommy was gross, but it wasn't like— to me, but I actually found the other parts actually scary, because well, we live in America and people love guns here. Um, so, it all comes down to the police finally getting involved, and, uh, this is funny, I don't know if I saw how the movie Mommy ends, but the people in the people in the movie theater watching it, uh, The main girl gets held hostage by killer guy, and eventually the SWAT team actually gets to shoot this guy. So, they save the day. There's a bunch of dead people already. And at the end, well, I think that's enough. But I really enjoyed the credits parts too, where an audience who was watching everything starts leaving the theater.
0: Yeah, um, I forgot to say at the start of the episode, trans rights are human rights. Uh, learn what's going on in your area, because that impacts people uh, a bit more on a federal level.
2: Uh, what, what reminded you of that? Was it the murder parts?
0: Uh, no, it was just... Uh, I I meant to say it at the start, but I forgot. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the murder parts, too, because... Yep. uh yeah they're the most targeted group for uh, assault and violence in this country uh but uh, yeah so uh so Joel, you said you did like this movie
2: oh yeah yeah i liked it i might, it's not like i'm going to watch it you know once a month or anything like that it was, but it's definitely I'm I'm so glad I watched it. It's a real cool movie to have seen and it like it is actually something that had me thinking for quite a bit about just the idea that this person had come up with the movie within a movie and the matching. Like that's that's quite a difficult thing to pull off in in such a way that I feel like the filmmaker did. So yeah
0: okay well um um uh Kribs, what do you like about anguish or the eyes of the city the eyes of the city are
1: mine well it's funny you know what joel said about being less involved with the first 22 minutes of the movie where it's just uh, the michael lerner Zelda Rubens and stuff i agree with him and you know it seems almost like it's getting a little bit rote when we switch over you know it seems like it's kind of a just sort of a half-baked giallo or something like that where it's you know there are some interesting things obviously the stuff with the snails and the uh scene with the uh with the pigeon obviously the you know humane society was probably not on board with this movie i'm guessing <laughs> no based on how they treat the pigeon but that whole scene is very involving and there's neat stuff like that but it's kind of like how long are we going to like follow this character around during his murder spree so Flipping it over and, you know, revealing that it's a screen and it's these people watching it, I think is uh, definitely the the reason that people enjoy this movie and the kind of the angle that, you know, people like. At that point, I think the movie should be called Relax, Patty, because this lady is just (laughs) freaking out so much watching this film. And you're just kind of wondering, like, is she mentally unstable? What's going on? But it's interesting because, you know, she's sitting there with her friend Linda and Linda is completely jaded you know keeps telling her it's just a movie you know relax and you see most of the people in the theater have that same kind of reaction they're all just kind of chewing their popcorn you know kind of mindlessly watching what's on screen and it kind of becomes an interesting contrast to patty's reaction to it It becomes a movie about how people watch horror films i'm constantly trying to get my daughters you know to watch scary movies and even my and even my wife you know and their reactions are always like you know like like patty in this movie where they're like they're they're acting like it's an actual trauma unfolding in front of them not a 40 year old movie with bad effects um so it's funny to have kind of question like your own like oh my god am i a jaded movie if you're like so many <laughs> of these people or do i should i be more cognizant of like the things that this movie is trying to tell me and like the signs that you can kind of take from it um You know, watching a movie that's all about seeing things and observing things and stealing other people's vision things like that kind of turning people blind is kind of the angle that I really enjoy about it at that Mm -hmm. point I uh, I also not like too many movies you know I can't think of too many can you guys think of any comparable films Uh, seeing this movie I have a few but they're not really exactly like this movie uh, Demons 2 yeah,
0: <laughs> you know, Demons movies definitely um,
1: Or do you mean Demons 1 Because Demons 2 is the one in the apartment oh Yeah, true. yeah oh. Demons
0: 1 is the movie theater one
1: Yeah
0: And it's good until Bob from Fall Street Movie Shows up at the end <laughs> That's when the movie loses me
1: That's the one that has Michelle Suave As the actor in the movie they're watching I always enjoy the director of Such great films as The Church And uh, The Sect And Cemetery Man
0: uh i i think but uh
1: but demons i definitely thought of i thought a little bit of targets the Bogdanovich movie do you guys know that one
0: mhm that's uh... uh the old Boris Karloff yeah but, yeah there we go.
1: That's, that's a... yeah the movie that culminates cuz it has the um, the charles whitman style killer going around snipering people and it all ends up at a movie theater oh, yeah. showing one of Boris Karloff's old films or the, the guy that Boris Karloff is playing. Um, and so the guy's, you know, murdering people during the movie and then has this great moment at the end where things are going to shit and the guy sees Karloff walking towards him and turns and sees Karloff on the screen. It's like looking back and forth and doesn't know who to shoot at. Starts shooting at the movie screen mm-hmm. because he's confusing reality and the film so much. That scene definitely kind of puts me in the. That sort of mindset i also was reminded of some uh old looney tunes where the audience you know is revealed like, specifically in hair raising hair there's a part where bugs bunny is running away from the go- gossamer monster and shouts like is there a doctor in the house and somebody stands up you see the silhouette and somebody like i'm a doctor <laughs> you know things like that like where you did just mm-hmm. this very surreal thing where you're like breaking the fourth wall but like revealing the audience you know watching the movie is like a very Looney tuned sort of thing to do.
0: Uh, for me, the end and the end specifically, uh, Perdido Perdido Tarango. Uh huh. Right yeah. Then to that movie, uh, like the uh, uh, Javier Bardem character, you know, he um, he's, he's obsessed with uh, what's that Western? It's uh, Robert. Um, it's one of the ones that uh, Robert Altright. Robert Altright. Aldridge, Aldridge. There we go. Robert Aldridge directed, I think. It's a. I don't know if, I which Western it is, but like they Anyways. Anyways, he merges because he wants to die just like uh, Burt Lancaster, and and you see like, uh, he like uh, they merge the old film and Javier, and he dies like Burt Lancaster does in that movie.
1: Oh, is it Vera Cruz?
2: Ah uh, yes, yeah. Okay. That's it. Looks looks just like Burt Lancaster too. Wait.
0: <laughs> I, I, th- I feel like Burt was probably a bit taller. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. No other comments needed. Okay. But They're both undeniable movie stars. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Totally, another movie I would just throw out there if people who've seen this movie do enjoy it uh, is a kind of little scene film from a few years ago called Luz, L-U-Z. Uh, by the director Tillman Singer. It's a very short film. It's only like 70 minutes long, but it uh, um, doesn't have, you know, it doesn't, doesn't have a kind of comparable plot devices or anything, but just totally is a head trip like this movie is. So I would throw that one out there too.
0: And like for me in general, the meta horror movie thing usually is a thing that like, it's fun for like the first third to a half, and then I get a little tired of it. Like, I, I'm not a fan of the screen movies at all. I find, like, that meta-type stuff, for me, very annoying to sit through. Sure. But, like, something like this, where it's more... Uh, it's not trying... It, like, It's not trying to, like, make logical sense. It makes sense in its own specific way. It's not being, like, arch slash or stupid? Because, like, that stuff is, like, okay, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, um, like, this just feels like you're actually trying to say something about like how movies affect people instead of just like making easy jokes Mm -hmm. or like the jokes for like the fans
1: yeah it's easy to kind of undermine how well luna really integrates the what's going on on the screen and what's going on in the quote-unquote real life of the movie how you know sometimes it cuts back and forth between one murder happening and another murder happening or somebody running or screaming and you for a second, you're kind of disoriented. You can't tell if it's the mommy, the movie that they're watching, or if this is actually the characters in the theater running around and you know hiding for yeah. their lives. So it's I, actually I, really well layered in terms. I, of I that.
0: find I find the reveal that it's, that it's middle of the day shocking every time. Me you too. How are they getting like... all these pe? How are they getting <laughs> all these people
1: in this screening of the mommy at like three o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe it's summer.
2: It's a weekday too, because that businessman, you know, he's he's got business he was supposed to go to.
1: I was thinking the same thing. Although you see, some of the stores are closed, oh. so it might actually be a weekend. Maybe it's, it's hard yeah. to say.
2: Hmm. Hmm. I also I had thought thought that
1: of same thought.
2: Uh, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of dream logic, frighteningness, and then suddenly coming into the real world. Although it's the same people. In the dream and in the "quote unquote" real life, yeah. You know, and uh, Nancy was also a huge fan of sweaters.
0: That's <laughs> yeah, true.
1: She loves the cardigan. That's true. Yeah. the
0: the The end part when like the police get involved that feels is like day afternoon, kinda, mm. but n- not a whole lot. But uh, it, it made me think. Like, I need to rewatch that movie. It's been too long.
1: Uh, I'd also <laughs> throw up matinee you know obviously the end of matinee the joe dante film and i think that's uh not ridiculous to throw out there because this movie obviously has interest in like william castle style gimmickry you know like real life interacting with the movie has that kind of ridiculous opening title about you know i can't even remember what it says but something like you know don't let yourself get too worked up from this movie (laughs) is a very william castle style gimmick yeah, but of course, uh, that's the mommy, right? That's the that's the yeah, movie within the movie, warning <laughs> its audience, and apparently being correct.
0: Yeah, and the uh, the whole the um, like what the what the, the, the mommy segment, the room and, and Lerner, that like Lerner, like uh, I think he could have carried uh, like a like a serial killer movie on his own because he just embodies that weird energy perfectly, which is why he's so good in like Cohen Brothers movies. Cause he has that he has that face and he says that odd energy to him.
1: It's always uh interesting to me that people think of him for his classier movies like Eight Men Out or Barton Fink. Where it's like I think of him a lot more for his genre movies like Maniac Cop two, Omen Four, Tale of the Mummy, that he plays mayor Ebert in Godzilla, you know, yeah, so that, uh, Godzilla. Yeah, that nineteen ninety eight Godzilla. He's definitely for me more like a a good, like campy actor, you know, as I mean, he could definitely hold his own in like a prestige film. But I think at the same time, he's so in, I only saw Omen four this year for the first time. It was like it's the weird TV sequel that like involves Damien's daughter and he comes late into the movie and he is phenomenal. I mean, he just gives that movie like that extra bit of weight that it really needs. So he's good in these kind of films
0: is he better than sam neill in the third one
1: yes i love sam neill dearly but Mm -hmm. i watched that third one again i've watched it maybe three times in my life and Mm i i've never been able to get into it he clearly is very uncomfortable doing like an american accent or something in that movie i just seems like he doesn't settle into the role so it's sam neill but it's like he needed a better director you know
0: I mean, there's a reason he probably doesn't... Th- I mean, he does th- doesn't like to talk about it, and there's probably a reason for it.
1: <laughs> no question.
0: And, uh... And, uh, just like... Then also the mommy segment, just uh, how it's... Like, I find both if very effective just in terms of, like, Zelda also has that very odd energy. But I can't help but wonder, is this, like, the, um... I forgot the, what the movie is. The movie with, um, Peter... I think Peter Dinklage is in it, and he's like, why is it in weird movies dwarves show up every time?
2: Oh, uh, that's, uh... I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's got so one, me, right? Yes. Uh, I
0: can't remember who... But, uh, this... I kind of wondered, like, is that... Be, like, did, did Zelda have a genuinely odd energy to her performances, or was it because, in this movie, because she's, uh... I don't know if she's a little person or a dwarf She She's four, Around four foot but I don't know which I'm going to look up to Specify which one it was hmm.
2: This movie Fits in with these uh, other hag Exploitation movies we we have At this season's docket This does?
0: Yeah, doesn't it? Because of Zelda?
1: Yeah I can get behind that I think just the kind of opulent apartment that she has, with the slugs and everything. It's like it's a Patricia Highsmith movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't, definitely um, has like a hexploitation kind of feel to it or a okay, psychobiddy yeah, yeah. feel to it. Psychic yeah. psychobiddy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she
0: didn't carry the slugs under her boobs,
1: though. Well, we don't know. Maybe she does. Yeah, who knows? Maybe um, she had some, some under true. there. That is true. She doesn't feel small in this movie either. Compared to some other films, maybe it's because she doesn't have to walk around and be with other, you know, actors a lot, but because she has so many like extreme close-ups in this film, <laughs> she has a really kind of overbearing presence that I enjoy. I, I feel like it was kind of hard too on that first twenty-two minutes. Mm-hmm. It's actually it is involving. It feels kind of like eyes without a face, only it's face without eyes. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If
0: yeah, um, like to me, it feels like. Uh, like, what a falchie, but there's, like, more intent and talent behind it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like some falchie, but some of it is, like, this is garbage. What the oh, fuck yeah. am I watching?
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, absolutely. <laughs> Living in Oblivion was the movie. Okay. Oh, right, right.
0: Yeah, and there's, like, a part where Peter Dinkler just like, ha- it's kind of, like, they're commenting on, like, the um, the man from another world from Twin Peaks of like, why, why do dwarves show up in dream sequences? I've never had a dream about a dwarf before, or something.
2: I, th- I think it's like he brings it up like why am I in this part? He's like, oh, because it's a dream sequence and uh uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh uh uh
0: that's yeah, and just like the stuff with the eyes, like for me, anything ocular is this like a guarantee to get under my skin, and uh, and I I can't but wonder, like, it, uh, I don't know Luna's dead, but like it, I there might be a Blu-ray of this. I never checked, but I I'm curious to see is how much of of Mommy was actually filmed. Did they film? Do do either know if they filmed just enough for the movie, or did they film like? Half to it's like to, to an entire movie worth of I've, stuff. I've
1: had that same. Well, yeah, I don't know. I've had that same kind of query myself because it feels like did he start shooting the mommy and be like, this isn't working. I have to think of something different, <laughs> and then just end up using that footage. It has that feel to it, but I think that that might be not giving him enough credit. I think he, you know, had the idea all along, and just uh, you know, shot a quality film to be the film within the film, which. He, <laughs> Pretty rarely see, I think, when they do that kind of thing in movies. So I don't know, but it's it's he seems to have almost a full movie, else you know, set up and ready to go. Yeah, that's true. I love too that the mommy you see the poster for the mommy at the Rex, the theater they're in, and it says it's directed by anul Segib, which is just (laughs) because Luna backwards. Uh, I was wondering what that was.
2: Oh, okay. this must be That's some one. Gyps- Egyptian filmmaker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I
0: did, I did see that, but I didn't think much of it. But the part, the little detail, the little detail that really bothered me that I'm going to look up, but I haven't yet, is the theater, the ticket girl. She's reading a Stephen King book, and it has like a bloody handprint on it. It's thinner. In, thinner. Okay. Yeah. It is bothering me this whole time. Like, what is that movie? What was that book?
1: <laughs> oh. I had the same reaction because I was thinking that book was a little bit later than it was. I was like, but it mm-hmm. came out as a Richard Bachman book, his pseudonym. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, but when said... When would it have been released with his name on it? And I was like, this is too early for that. But uh, when I looked it up, it turns out it was just about the right time. It came out in like 85 under his name. So it oh. all connects.
0: Yeah. Alright, so uh... Uh, like uh, one of the things that really works for me in this movie is the hypnotism sequence that goes on. It feels like it goes on for ten minutes. I mean, in a good way, because mm. like when it when it hits, it's just uh, it's just like this magical. It's like it's this magical like cinema. It's like oh, this is what movies can do. This is like w- this is a real
1: movie. <laughs> That's when the cough syrup really starts sinking in too. It <laughs> really starts working for you. <laughs>
0: Like for me, hypnotism is like as a tricky thing to pull off in a movie because it can very easily just feel fake and corny. It's like uh, it's and just uh, you know it feels like bullshit. But here it's like I don't understand how it worked because like it, it yeah it's just like yeah I don't really get how the hypnotism scene worked, but it's like it's it's a such pure cinema and like there's such an understanding of like. It's a movie. Here are all the things that you can do with a movie to like make someone feel uncomfortable and like just uh, like they're in a
1: dream. Yeah. I think a big part of it is Patty's reactions to it. You know, constantly cutting to her sweaty face. You know, just freaking out. The actress who played Patty, I don't think ever did another movie. And I'm just convinced this movie broke her. <laughs> you know, she just seemed to put like all her fear and trauma and anxiety into this. One role, and I don't think she had anything left after it was over. <laughs> okay. But I, even I, before, I, even before that, like the sound design of the film is just fantastic. The sound of like her phone ringing, which is just like some kind of weird underwatery echo that's going like on through the scene, is like this amazing stuff. Like that. I mean, you're already kind of hypnotized even before that scene happens.
0: It's like David Lynch level sound design to me. Like. Like, to me like my favorite thing with dave lynch movies is is the sound design because it's mm. it's a pure like i keep going to say it can be repetitive but like it's just, it's magical and, like that's what makes one of the things that makes these movies work and like texas chainsaw has my favorite sound design of any movie and like i compare this to texas chainsaw in terms of like just how sound design makes the movie
1: yeah, that's and, fair. I think this would be a, another comparable movie would be Eraserhead. This would be a nice double feature with that.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, yep. And Eraserhead has that incredible um, sequence of when he goes to the, his girlfriend's parents' house and you hears suckling for a while and you don't know what where it's coming from and then you get a cut to uh, puppies nursing on their mom. And it, it ties into the theme of the movie and so it's this Really loud, comfortable sound just adds to like this the, like the the atmosphere of, uh, of a, uh, Lynch being like I fucking hate Philly.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also the theme of just evil, crazy moms, Joel oh. like wild at heart. You know this movie shapes that.
2: <laughs> hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Kind of some sort of, exploitation. No. I'm joking. Uh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but uh, another thing, another movie that came to mind watching this was um, we did a spoiler thing already, but Asteroid City. In terms of the
2: the like, wait a minute, we didn't say we were going to spoil other. It's been long enough. No, how dare you? Okay, spoiler for Asteroid City. Come on, okay. Now there's something with Asteroid City
0: that for me doesn't work because it feels like. Here are two things I can add together, but they don't really add much to each other. but This is, but, uh, Anguish is like, these are, these are two things that can add together, but they mesh perfectly well in, in a way, and it makes sense where, uh, like, Cribs, you were saying, like, th- this is probably Luna's intent the whole time to shoot, uh, maybe half of a, half of a, like, a, a, a serial killer movie, and then half of a, reaction to a serial killer movie
1: yeah I agree Asteroid City definitely feels a little more distanced in the two things it's trying to do I don't think there's a I don't remember it well enough maybe but like I don't remember there being like a strong thematic connection between the two different things the way that there is in this movie and
0: uh it sounds like I'm hating on the movie I think it's good but uh it made me cry but cause the, the dead mom stuff and anything with like uh a dead maternal figure makes me cry now because both my grandmas are dead
1: oh really even though the dead mom stuff is played for laughs in that movie
0: uh yeah a bit but like this little moments that made me go, like i miss my grandma <laughs> fair enough and like going back to audio design uh, uh sound design uh they're just like parts where uh you, they're watching mommy, but you can't you hear a, a mix of the audio of Zelda talking And then you have Patty and Linda talking And then you have like random audience people talking And it just becomes this collage of What's happening? Who what am I watching? I don't know what's happening This is confusing But I'm not annoyed or or uh, off put by it It's just uh, Like it's, it just sucks you into trying to figure out what you're watching <laughs>
1: yeah it's uh, funny too they kind of take this journey with the the killer at the rex the guy who is obsessed with the movie who the uh concession stand girl tells him like oh you've seen you come to this movie all the time you know and is clearly like memorized dialogue from the movie and is just trying to play the movie out you know in real life um, it's funny that movie theaters in general like are considered such sanctuaries you know you don't think of yourself as like being in danger when you're in the dark in a movie theater even though it's kind of like basic you know human instincts tell you like this is kind of a creepy place to be Uh, just be in the dark in the middle of the day like this and uh, so the fact that you kind of like experience this killer trying to reenact what's on screen in real life just kind of makes kind of an interesting parallel to like you know with observing seeing things that are horrible as opposed to actually experience the experiencing them but again it's something that you know the other journey you take is the one with patty where it's like you know you see through her eyes like how incredibly anxious she gets watching this film and she's just completely on edge uh particularly the part where the couple behind her get worried about her and they're like you know trying to console her and she just like well can't even like articulate what it is that's wrong with her or what she's feeling it's really effective, you know. It's a, again, this actress has never done anything else. I kind of wish she had, because she is interesting in this movie, and definitely part of like the what makes the hypnotism and pulling you into the film that works is her reactions to this. Like seeing her and the killer both have these intense reactions to what's on screen. You know, is a big part of what makes this film work.
0: And. Uh... Joel, like when I rewatched this and got to the shooting part in the theater, because I know you're more sensitive to uh, that to particular violence. type of violence. Yeah. Yes, and so I got concerned that you might hate this movie, and you would. I was waiting for your text to be like, "Fuck this movie! It ruined my day," <laughs> because of the the gun violence uh, uh, shooter angle at the end
2: mm i think that i mean i certainly had you know I, I always whenever there's violence in a movie theater in a movie i always go back to the uh the dark night shooting event that actually happened and just how that felt so goddamn awful because i thought of like like you were just saying chris i thought of Movie theaters I mean, as a sanctuary, a safe place. And Cribs? That's what I meant to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm a little drunk. No, I'm not. Cribs. John, 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 Ah, hypnotizing, ooh, subliminal. Oh, sorry. Yeah. John, think of the spiral. Oh, spiral. <laughs> no, come back. My, you, my energy... <laughs> or something, I don't know and get some eggs on the way back <laughs> yeah, so so a little bit uh, disturbing like I said, it was more effective than
1: the ultra-violence happening well, I think Luna's definitely aware of that, right? I mean part of the reason why it's easy to kind of accept or kind of get into the action in the mommy is that, you know, it's this guy, you know taking people's eyes out in this kind of sensationalistic way, which doesn't really feel like anything comparable to real life that we can think of. Right. But Mm. so so someone just randomly taking out a gun and murder, you know, randomly murdering people is a very scary thing that happens all the time. So, I mean, I think that too, you know, showing us two different like versions of violence, one that is very theatrical and very stylized. Another one that's a little more kind of raw and realistic, I think that that's definitely part of the attention. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's one of those things that I realize I haven't seen many movies that mix like goofy fake movie violence with like real life violence because it's just it totally they're very different, and uh, we have to have a a deep understanding of what you're doing and and, and implications of what you're doing. Uh, every time I say implication, I think of it's
1: always sunny. <laughs> because of the implication.
0: Yeah. We go on a boat. She's alone. She has no friends. She might say no. <laughs> people these, don't girls are, these
1: girls are not in danger. <laughs> uh, it's the
0: uh, Joel, do you, know, or do you know what we're talking about? Nope. Still haven't. Okay. It's a... If you have never seen, it's always sunny. That's a good one episode to see if you're into the type of humor. But, yeah, because um, we
1: could go on for the next ten minutes just quoting this episode if that'll help
0: out. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna stop. That's
1: always sunny talk. But well, uh, let me let me just say though that like as much as the gun violence is disturbing, like the part that gets me the most, and again, it really I think it's a build up to it because it's that moment that I was mentioning from Targets. Uh, where the guy is shooting at Karloff on the screen, and then like turning around and shooting at him, it's when she looks up. At she she's been taken hostage by the killer, and then he lets her go, and she looks up at the screen right as Michael Lerner is like you know has the scalpel or whatever he has, and is pointing it forward, and she reacts like she's just been stabbed in the eye, and she won't stop screaming. Yeah. Again, it's like you know you feel kind of blasé about like the stylized violence, you know, against other people's eyes when, you know, you know it's a movie and you're just watching it as a movie. But because there's been this big build up to like more realistic violence and trauma that this woman is feeling when she actually reacts like she's been had a scalpel thrown to her eye, it's very effective. It's like a great like kind of culmination to everything that's been built up to that point. Definitely agree.
2: I think that Oh, Boonwellian
1: and also I'll throw that out there, right? Unchi and the Never heard of it.
2: It's not about a dog. Who cares? No. <laughs> um, the ending, the actual ending, where I, you know, did not to go too much into it, like when it suddenly mixes in that reality with the movie's reality in a in a way, and we we see both of those girls who had survived you know one of them being terrified of what the movie was making her feel and and then eventually what real life was happening but the other one being stuck in real life when this horrible thing is happening and then you know it, it feels cruel but not in like a like why would they do that kind of way but in a like oh this seems appropriate for the way the movie went kind of way and that's really interesting to me because usually cruelty in movies just like, turns me off completely, and uh, w- this worked for me. I don't know if it's because I have some sort of uh, eye fetish or something. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the
0: whole reveal of well, in the end. I I'm still thinking thinking about in terms of uh, with is it a different killer? Uh, is, like, is it different killer? Is Michael Lerner in the real world? is this all a dream but also I, I appreciate that they like a cheesy ending like, like like they pull off usually for me is kinda of like an eye roll of like, like okay I've seen this before but because of how later movie is and what it's leading up to and, and how it, it was leading up to like the big moments it just felt like oh this was earned and it's ambiguous in a way that doesn't feel like um, like a like a lame ending to our Freddy movie where it's like, oh yeah, another nightmare type of thing, you know?
1: Yeah. Definitely. I love that he can just merge these two realities at the last minute, you know, and kind of be like, all bets are off, you know? no, No safety anywhere. Like, I can easily put these movies together. I can then show you that this movie you've been watching where they're watching a movie is being watched by other people, you know, who are now going to get up and leave the theater. Uh, and it's like, there's no safety zone whatsoever. You know, he's totally collapsed that safety wall. Even the film that they're watching within the mommy, the, the lost world. Well, Beery dinosaur picture, what do you need a roadmap? Just to speak, just to throw the connection to Barton Fink in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has this kind of like, cerebral kind of quality to it where she's walking away she's uh Patty's walking out of the theater and turns around and the screen that she's watching is Lost World because it's that point in the Mommy where you're seeing the Lost World on screen so it's on her screen just all these barriers that are exist and so at the last minute to kind of break all these barriers down is like a master stroke i think you know and at the same time if you want to just take it like as a stinger at the end of a horror movie like phantasm or nightmare on elm street it's like sure why not? You can do that too. So, yeah, it gives you a lot to kind of work with here. That's, uh, that's uh, yeah, very impressive.
0: And, and there's a shot I didn't put on on Twitter or X, whatever, whatever's happening with that hellscape hell of site. Um, <laughs> um, I almost put the screenshot of Patty walking out of the theater when, the, when you see an audience watching an audience watching um, Lost World. But I, but that was too much of a spoiler, and I don't want to ruin the movie for people potentially, so I'd never put it up there. But like so a shot like that is like what Cribs you were saying about uh like, like like that's a movie shot. Like that that that's like this is, I like you look at this and you're like in, in you know a movie you, you go like well this is anguish obviously, you know, it doesn't feel like uh it's like random like you know content like it. it a shot like that makes you like this is a real movie
1: yeah it's a gorgeous shot absolutely <laughs> another kind of lynchian connection is inland empire where she kind of I'm trying to remember I might be misremembering what happens but the way she walks into the screen into the theater and then she sees herself on screen and then it kind of becomes that movie you know the kind of Sort of the, the same way that they're making the movie, then she's actually in the movie, kind of stepping in and out of it. I think you know is another kind of Lynchian kind of connection with this film, and that kind of uncertainty, uncertainty of reality is a very scary thing in films. I think,
0: and uh, for like uh, the surrealism, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but with the hypnotism um, uh, sequence, you get these shots of spirals and snails. You get like a, a snail on a on a pigeon, and I I don't know what what makes it so so striking, but it's for me like that's the sequence of the movie is the hypnotism sequence and just seeing all the snails and I never thought of snails as being weird creatures because I I'm a big like animal lover I love learning about animals still but like uh in uh, pretty desensitized to weird animal stuff, but the seeing snails presented this way made me go like they're kind of weird they're weird little creatures <laughs> I don't know like this and just the use of snails it's like I don't I, I, I don't I'm not sure what make what makes it so surreal and dreamlike to show snails like like uh Luna showed snails in this.
2: They feel like alien creatures compared to most of the land-traveling, you know, beings. Like, insects usually, you know, the legs and and stuff easily squishable. There's something about slugs as opposed to snails that also just separates this, um, I don't know, like, I think of a snail... And I, I think they're cute. Like, I, I can't help it. It's the shell thing, but it's also the way their, you know, eye stems and stuff like that. It looks a little curious, and they react to humans. A slug is like, what the hell is going on there? Like, is it the shell difference? I'm not sure. But if that was the same kind of thing, yeah, I don't know if the audience knows. I, I have a big fear of, like, underwater creatures. <laughs> uh if I saw something like that underwater. I'd be freaking the
1: hell out. Uh, but it, you, it, yeah. Do the, you know? Do you know Joel? Do you know if taking off a snail shell makes it any faster? I haven't done that particular experiment
2: yet. I have several snails in my house now.
1: Well, I know the answer. Oh, tell me. It it doesn't. It makes them more sluggish. <laughs> um, You really are a dad, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Pretty good. You got me. I did want to apologize uh, to you guys, because Spencer specifically had said when I sent him a list of movies, we're trying to stay away from films with, you know, animal cruelty in them. And I was immediately like, well, let me take off half of these. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in this one, I had forgotten the moment where she steps on the snail. And I was like, oh, no shoot I've forgotten about that and it's really upsetting too yeah. it kind of like br- kind of really represents like this breaking down of like safety and reality that this uh, shell gets like totally crushed under her foot and I've got like a thing too about like accidentally stepping on animals I hate it so yeah, me too. yeah that really makes me feel very queasy that moment and then of course the pigeons are going to go feast on the remains you know it's uh, when all hell's breaking loose at the end of the movie Very unsettling.
0: Yeah, I'm usually anti-stepping on bugs and killing bugs, unless it's one of my my job is home health, and one of my people is in a wheelchair. So if I see spiders that are like big enough, like big as big as my uh, fingernail, then it's like I gotta kill that thing because he will freak the fuck out if he sees that. Because if it gets on him, it's gonna be a nightmare to to deal with to get that thing off of him
1: oh yeah there's a spider right outside our home that my daughter hates and wants me to kill i'm like no he's not even intruding in our home (laughs) let him let him be he's not gonna hurt you
0: (laughs) yeah like uh i'll get back to the movie soon but uh during the summer there was like a fairly big like palm-sized spider uh size like my palm maybe and it got into the house and i was trying to distract my person to uh to leave so I can take care of it and by the time he was done I couldn't find a spider anymore so I spent the next week like well I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna hear a scream or a, <laughs> a, or a funny story pretty soon
2: yeah I've been in that situation with a significant other and I hate that cause it's like oh jeez I had one job <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you can't say it to the person cause they're gonna freak out, and it's like yeah. well, you gotta kind of shoot them away, but you you gotta be like nice about it. At least I have to be nice about it because it's my job.
1: So they suspect nothing.
0: Yeah. Okay, and um, where was it? Where was it? Uh, and like I, I thought, I was thinking about this, the themes of the movie and like what you see, and. It's very simple to point out like the recurring symbolism and all that stuff, but it's just uh, just, just having the constant theme of the, the serial killer who takes people's eyes uh, merging with the person who's obsessed with the movie because he's watched the movie too much and just having the, 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 the ocular like vision part uh, connect the two stories is just, it's so smart and so simple. And it's one of those things that to point out. It feels like, yeah, no shit. But at the same time, it feels like this is this is brilliant. <laughs> like this, you
2: know, this was very clearly thought out. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. That guy uh, reminded me of another actor. I believe he's a favorite actor of yours, uh, Spencer Dylan Baker. Mm-hmm.
0: uh wait. I do like Dylan Baker, the lizard.
2: Yep, I don't know it's uh, they. They both have uh, a little, just normal guy look, but they can give this like incredibly creepy gaze if they want to. It's like uh, that, that actor is on Hill, on Hill something or other. Hova, Hova. Yeah, Hova. Yeah, that he did. He did very good face work. <laughs>
1: I just saw Dylan Baker in this new Nicolas Cage movie, Dream Scenario, and I realized the thing he's best at is being a- appalled yeah. or confused by people. <laughs> just looking at them like, what's wrong with you? Seems to be like the best face he can conjure up. I mean, he's very good at that. Yeah. Parker, I expected
2: you in class. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Isn't that tiger beat?
2: Yep. <laughs> Ignore that tiger beat, Parker. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else? Not
0: really, besides just, uh, I mean, I want to see more Luna movies, but I, well, I think a bunch were on Cartarian Channel, or, uh, the old one, at one point, but, um, uh, that was when, that was during, during the school year, when I was taking classes, so that meant my, my mental capacity for, like, um, uh, Movies in general was pretty low, so I didn't have the time or energy to sit through them. But uh, man, I just want to watch more Luna
1: movies. I agree, I wish they were more readily available.
2: Yeah, hey, you're gonna have to tell me what's safe to watch, I'm scared. Uh, <laughs> from, from what I can tell you,
0: this is kind of like an outlier. I've seen Golden Balls, which is, like, a, a, a sex comedy, and he did a lot of more sex comedy slash, like, sexy dramas. More or sexy less. dramas. Oh, that's he's famous for, I should clarify. Hmm. I believe this is the only English-language movie he did. <coughs> I might be wrong about that, but... uh
1: I can't remember what language his uh, entry of Lumi- Lumiere and Company was in. I know he was part of that. That's another Lynch connection there. Uh, I don't remember what uh, his segment was. So I couldn't, couldn't honestly say. But I think you're right. I think this is the only feature he did in English.
0: And, um, before we finish up and move on to the recommendation part, we just recorded an episode... Uh, as of right now on uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. And in my research on that movie, I found a connection to uh, one of your favorite screenwriters, uh, Mr. Cribs, uh, Jean-Claude Carri- Carriere. Yes. Do you know the connection?
1: To the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas? Uh-huh. I don't.
0: Uh, Colin Higgins, who wrote and directed Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, he wrote Harold and Maude that was turned into a play that oh you know where I'm going with this
1: I know that uh, Carrier wrote like the French play of Harold and Maude which was supposedly novelized by him but I've never seen evidence of that book actually existing
0: but uh, yeah they worked uh, Colin Higgins and um, Jean-Claude worked together on the play adaptation of Harold and Maude
1: for a French uh, version very cool maybe he had some notes on Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. (laughs) It's possible.
0: Uh, I think he was that was when he directed Foul Play, the Chevy Chase comedy. So I'm not sure if that was I'm a big fan
1: of Foul Play. I like that one a lot.
0: We're going to cover that one in the vague future because I want to talk about more Colin Higgins work. He's a fascinating artist who should be more celebrated. I think. That
1: would be a good episode because I enjoy that movie.
0: Yeah, uh, that's the movie my mom tried, tried to try to get me to watch since I've since I've been 15, and every time, uh, well, actually not not so much lately, but for a long time, it's like no, I'm not watching some born mom movie, <laughs> but I'm sure it's good.
1: Speaking of dwarfs, beware the dwarf.
0: <laughs> yeah, Billy Barty's in it. That's all I know. It's true. Uh, okay, so that's. I got really nothing else to say about uh, Anguish besides it's really cool, really stylish. It feels like it could e- could easily tip over into this kind of falling flat on its face, but it it doesn't make all the right choices. Uh, like I really don't have any real problems with the movie. It's just it's just a cool, fascinating little horror movie that I wish was more popular, and I'm glad it's streaming. But I hate that the description on Google and other places to watch it spoils the twist. Which to me is like, whoever did that clearly didn't watch the movie. Or they were just half-assing and everything and just didn't even consider how to properly describe it.
1: Yeah, that's a bummer. Especially since you can easily summarize The Mommy as a, as a movie and you know get people interested enough to see it. Yeah, I'm, I am disappointed also that it's not known as the eyes of the city are mine because there's another horror film called Anguish that everyone goes nuts over. And anytime someone brings up that horror movie Anguish, it's always like, okay, which one?
2: If it's, yeah. the, if that's the one I was thinking we were gonna watch, I, I have to see because I was like, I, I don't, um,
0: Let me see. The other one is like, I feel like it's a Bradley movie. I think Bradley
1: loves other one. No, I might be wrong. Yeah, it's got movies from hell written all over it, for sure.
2: Uh, from 2015, or a different <laughs> movie called That's English? Like
1: a, no, earlier than world. that. Okay. Can I would say it's early 80s,
2: but... Uh, oh, no, there's 2003. Jeez, there's been a lot of movies called English. This is a problem. <laughs>
0: uh, and I I had this on my list also. Uh, uh, this, there's a similar... Uh, Argentine and Argentine? I'm not sure what the right word there is. A movie called Tony Monero that came out uh, 2008. Argentina. A guy.
1: I remember that movie from the Toronto Film Festival.
0: Um, I saw it because of Pure Cinema Podcast. I think Elric recommended That's an Elric movie. Yeah, that, that's an Elric movie. Um, he recommended it. And it's about this guy who was obsessed with Tony Monero and Saturday Night Fever and it's kind of like the guy in Anguish who's obsessed with, with the mommy except this is yeah. uh, I'd say borderline even more psychotic and like the part where uh, Grease comes out and it replaces Saturday Night Fever and he has a complete meltdown in the theater he's like where's my movie this is the wrong movie and they're like it's John DeVolta like no no I need the other John DeVolta movie <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's I think time and era is streaming but uh I'm not sure but it's a cool movie um
1: have either of you guys ever been as obsessed with the movie as this guy is with the mommy
0: maybe the baby
1: um, just the baby
0: yeah that would have been my guess <laughs> or she hate me
2: <laughs> obsessed with she hate me yeah. well I'm obsessed with the CJ jizz since she hate me Oh, that's a special. That's a special moment in the movie. The other, otherwise, I mean. The yeah, otherwise, the movie is uh, terrible. I, I like it when you you meet a Marvel fan. You're like, "Have you heard this movie called She Hate Me?" I love doing that to people and showing them the CGI cup <laughs> Their The reaction is always like, "What is this
0: movie?" And I always say, "Don't bother. This is, this is all you need to know."
2: Oh, I know what the answer is for me. Quincy's quest. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a movie. No, nobody gives a crap about. And I'm like, have you heard of this movie? And uh, Mr. Cribs what is, is there a movie you're super obsessed with?
1: Maybe Deep Blue Sea. Big fan of that one. Ah, uh, yeah.
0: I, I, I assume you saw it in the theater and was surprised by the by the death scene.
1: Of course, of course. That scene was amazing. Although seconds seconds before it happened, I saw it coming. It still did not lose any of the magic.
0: and uh, uh you have a couple other movies you uh we have on what to talk about. Uh do you want to talk about the uh is it Arabata? Arabata?
1: Oh uh, yeah, Rapture. Rupture. Yeah. Ra- ra- yeah.
0: Do you want to talk about that yeah. one next?
1: Um yeah, sure.
0: Okay. Perfect. Uh yeah, so that'll be next one you're on. You have I think two more or three more. I have to go through the list again. But, uh, yeah, Bottom was a movie that, um, for a long time was kind of hard to find. I, 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 I searched a, a while to find it, and it got a Blu ray a couple of years ago. And it was streaming for a little bit. I, uh, I, but this was like over a year ago, so who knows if it still is.
1: I think we actually have El Motivar to thank for that because he put out a list of his favorite Spanish films, and that appeared on it. I think that's what people started, uh, seeking it out and why it got like a Blu-ray release and things like that.
0: And, uh, who is in it? Um, Cecilia Roth is in it. That's, uh, she's in a bunch of Omotovar movies. Oh, in Alaska from his first movie are in it. So, there are two Omotivar, uh women in it and that, that probably helped uh, helped uh, uh, with its status too. And, um, mm-hmm. There's a movie Spanish Shallow in one of the Forgotten Jalo box sets that has an early appearance from Car- Carmen Ma- uh, Maura, who's in a bunch of a of our movies. She has a very distinct face, uh, kind of character. I, I, I won't say character actor face, but I don't mean that like she looks weird, looks ugly. It's a she has a distinct face, but she's in, a, but there's a Blu-ray of uh, one of her earlier movies that is it's like Af- Agatha Christie but Spanish and you know, a jalo and it's okay. But I like like it because she's in it and that's really the only reason. <laughs> I I, think I might be on Shudder But uh anyway, so um yeah. Uh, uh, oh yeah, Zelda's Fracture brings up too. Zelda Rubenstein was one of the first celebrities to um, advocate for um, people with HIV and AIDS, and this was like right after she became a big, uh, a big name from Poltergeist, and she uh, really risked, you know, her celebrity and her status to, you know, advocate for people who needed help, and I think that's an important thing to remember. Besides, like it's kind of shitty she did the Toby Hooper thing, but she's also helped spearhead people to be like, hey, AIDS is a fucked up problem. We need to you know think about and take care of
1: yeah absolutely I'm glad that those commercials have started circulating on social media and people can see those That's definitely a commendable thing yeah
0: and, uh, I, I checked earlier but forgot to say it but she had a a it wasn't dwarfism but uh, a different issue not, actually I say issue a different condition that uh, is why she uh, was a why she was a little person, but and uh, uh, she like Billy Barty fought her whole career to have better parts and give better parts, and I I don't know if it worked, but I, I think it probably did make things better for people after her. But okay, so there's that, and uh, yeah, so uh, recommendations for 1987 um crimps you can go first
1: sure i uh i stuck to horror genre for the ones i picked the first one is a short animated film called lupo the butcher which is made by the italian canadian animator danny antonucci who was an animator on heavy metal and then went on to create the cartoon network show ed ed and eddie oh yeah oh yeah um so this is a film that he did it's very short it's about three minutes long and it's just about a, a butcher cutting up some meat very angry butcher it'd be literally a spoiler to say anything beyond that but uh <laughs> it is available on youtube uh easy to see so i highly recommend it it's uh it's brilliant it's a great short film uh another one would be a film called the black tower which is made by john smith who was an experimental filmmaker and it's uh uh, another short film it's about 25 or so minutes long and it's just uh, uh definitely a good comparison i think with anguish because it's a very experimental it's just about this guy walking around and he keeps seeing this black tower pop up around uh, around his city just you know he th- at first he thinks it's different black towers and then comes back to look at it and finds out that it's gone so it's just literally following him around he's being stalked by a black tower is what's happening in this film and it's uh full of really interesting montage and again sound uh sound design and uh very trippy kind of film which i think is also available on youtube so definitely check it out if you haven't seen it very interesting john smith is a very interesting filmmaker and um in the feature um, feature film world definitely Thematically, title-wise anyway, would be Donald Camel's film, White of the Eye, with uh, David Keith and Kathy oh, Moriarty, yeah. which is uh, kind of a desert giallo kind of film. It's about these kind of rich people living in the desert. Not only does it have the theme of eyes and observing and the killer obsessed with uh, people seeing themselves as they die, but it also has, uh, because uh, David Keith's character is like this sound literally like a sound technician who's obsessed with like getting the perfect sound you have again the kind of interesting sound design in the film and like literally a theme of the film being the senses the sight and the sound things like that uh, very trippy film for those who don't know donald Campbell was the one who co-directed performance in the 70s and uh um, wanted to do some other films that uh, all I think got you know taken away from him and recut. I think White of the Eye is like the most purely Donald Camel film, uh, not only because he was able to kind of finish it and edit it to his specifications, but because thematically it definitely has a lot of his obsessions in it. So that would be most be my picks.
2: That's a that's yeah. a damn good movie.
1: Super interesting. So. Yeah. All right, for me. I,
0: uh i got two quick ones and two real ones quick ones are street trash i was talked about on the grind bend i think three years ago two uh, four years ago it's been a while but uh it's a gross body horror movie that it's one of the rare body horror movies i actually enjoy watching uh something that's weirdly cartoon is very cartoony and i find it easier to sc- stomach than Say a Brian used to produce the movie because those are those make me want to vomit because they make me feel so sick. But yeah, I street trash. Uh, some people hate it, and I get it. It's uh, it, it's, it's not great in certain aspects. Uh, Blood Rage. I'm a big it's, fan of
1: Street Trash myself.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, Blood Rage. Um, it's one of the few slashers of this time period I actually like. Uh, it's so stupid to the point that I d- it, it becomes like a, a great comedy, and um, Louise Lasser is in it. And like uh, when you see her in it, you realize in her performance, you realize oh, this is supposed to, this is supposed to be a comedy. At least she, re- at least she thinks it she, she thinks it's a comedy and plays it like uh, plays it that way. But uh, it's real goofy, real stupid. Uh,
1: it's but under a she, nine- she's interesting uh, she's somebody who like wasn't on my radar for a long time but then like I went back and watched her Saturday Night Live episode from like the first season and it's just bizarre like her choices are interesting and weird as the host of that like she has two sequ- sequences where she just sits down and just talks to the audience and just tells them like stories about her life and there's no jokes and it, but, but it's like this interesting like r- ranting that is kind of like hypnotic so she's definitely she, yeah. more interesting than I think people give her credit for
0: yeah she is on Mary Hartman Mary Hartman which is a brilliant show that I wish was more available for more people to see and she was the grandma at the end of happiness for <laughs> Dylan Baker
2: oh I know it's going to come back
0: <laughs> yeah uh yeah she's the grandma to the boy who well if you know the movie you know the movie um yeah, and she's a, a, had a fascinating career. Uh, okay, the two, two real ones are Abel Ferreira, China Girl. Uh, it's a lesser Ferreira, but it's his take on um, Romeo and Juliet. But, um, and has James Hong in a small part as like a crime boss. And it's great. Well, his scenes are great, I should say. But uh, yeah, China Girl, I do recommend it if you want to see how uh, young Abel Ferrero would handle Shakespeare and Ye Lean uh, or Brightness uh, by Solomon Sisa. Uh, um, it's uh, what country is it? I can't remember what country it's from, but um, it's an African movie, a uh, uh, fantasy movie, and it's. It's a movie that, um, uh, what's his name? Scorsese has championed, but that doesn't, that seemingly do, hasn't been enough to like raise its, uh, status, but, um, uh, okay. It's Faso, I think movie, uh, it's, it's in Bombara so it probably is Bikino Faso, but, uh, yeah, it's a movie that uh, has been championed by, um, Scorsese, a whole bunch, and it's an easier to get movie. African movie from this time, from that time period, and just seek it out. Uh, if you want us to see like a different version of fantasy, and it's uh, one of more famous African movies, so it's yeah actually is easier to get a hold of.
2: And that's it. Cool. Oh, great. Um, there's a lot of movies. From '87, but uh, I, I got two gems, I guess. Uh, first one is this movie called "Pele the Conqueror." Um, I think it's kind of famous. It's 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 a it's okay, yeah, Danish movie, I believe, and it is about. Uh, it's directed by Billy August and stars Max von Sydow and a kid actually named Pele, Pele Havengeard, I can't, I, I'm terrible at that stuff. Anyways, it, it's a real bummer of a movie, <laughs> that's, I'll say altogether. Um, the, uh, Max von Sydow plays the father of the boy, uh, Pele, and they begin by coming off a boat, fresh immigrants, um, from, I believe, uh, from, uh, Danish Island and Bornholm is what it says, uh, to place in Southern Sweden. And they, you know, uh, Maximus Saito is, seems like he'd be more appropriate to be Pele's grandfather, but he's, uh, Pele's mother is not around and they don't have anyone they know here so they have to try to find work but it's a very difficult time because he's so old and Pele's young a little too young to be working at that point point. and when they finally get work at a farm it's it's not fun for them. Uh, Pele has a better time adapting than Maxim Side does. Uh, as a Pele, like it's the name of the soccer player. Um, and he gets the opportunity to go to school, and you see him growing up as he's meeting new people, and some crazy, crazy stuff happens at the farm. There, there's this one very, very upsetting part towards the end where you think things are finally working out, and... The most unexpected thing Kind of happens It's not like a Oh everybody was a ghost It's not like a shock or anything Like it. It's just like Are you kidding me And It was I don't remember why I even chose to watch this movie Other episode than Episode 4 Oh did we already talk about it Spike Lee episode Oh Jesus Christ why didn't you remind me I thought you were going that way no, I forgot why I even watched it. It's a hard, hard movie to watch. Well, now that I've done sticking my foot in my mouth, let's go on to the next movie. Now, this one I know I've never talked about before. It's a movie directed by Colin Blaine. It stars Margaret Trigg, Richard Guesswine, and uh, let's see, who's the guy who plays the thing? The unknown actor? Who knows? Oh, James there Arness, go. Carol Brandon Baker. It's a movie called R O T O R, Rotor. Rotor. <laughs> of course, you pick this, and it is the best Terminator ripoff you will ever see. And by best, I mean it is just hilariously stupid. Uh, it, it tries to go for all these excitements, and it's, it brings in these other things where. I don't know. There's there's just such strange things in the movie. The cover does not represent what you're going to see, obviously. That's that's pretty standard for <laughs> movies that uh, don't really have much going for them. Uh, it, eventually, there is a Terminator-like robot that escapes from a lab. And the creator of this robot has to find uh, basically a team <laughs> of people to take down the uh, Terminator clone guy uh, while also trying to escape him long enough to survive to fight back. And there's songs in the soundtrack that sound like this must have been the director's cousin Mm -hmm. or something. And the acting is... It's got all this voiceover narration that's like, uh... Is this going to be a whole movie? Oh, it is. Oh, okay. And... I, I just want to say, there, there's a scene where Terminator ripoff comes upon some biker dude or something like that, and the biker dude gets into this, like, martial arts stance, and then so does the Terminator guy. And it's just stupid city. Stupid, stupid city. I love it so much. Yes, I did talk about it, and please don't send me out of space, but... It's it's all on YouTube. It's free on YouTube. You should watch it now. It's much better than Pele the Conqueror. You can quote me.
1: But still very similar films.
2: Yes, quite similar.
1: Do you know what Rotor stands for?
2: Uh, I think I remember, but you tell me. No, I was asking because I don't know. (laughs) Okay, it's robotic, (laughs) officer, to... Oh, wait. Robotic officer tactical operation research. Oh, okay. Oh, that's,
1: yeah. They make it work. That's, that's what I would have guessed. Yeah. It's good. I, it, mainly, I mainly know that for um, having ripped off the Mad Max artwork. On oh, the y- yeah. That's definitely. I was trying to piece that cover together,
2: and that's totally what it is. You know?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Okay,
0: so. Um... <clears throat> Rotor. Rotor, yeah. I, I guess that that's it for uh episode. Um well, uh, Mr. Cripps, thank you for your time.
1: Absolutely guys, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, and uh yeah, like I said earlier, you'll be back for uh our, uh, our I forgot to name it movie already. Arabetto. Yeah, that, that movie. And you were the first person I've already said it. On, a, on an episode, but um, next season will be Altman, and you're the first person to pick, uh, pick something, and you picked, um, Brewster McLeod. And, yeah, which is uh, the one of the most important movies in cinematic history because it introduced the world to Str- Shelley Duvall. And uh, that's the only reason it's no, it, it's a great movie. I love it, but um, <laughs> yeah, so uh. Yeah, and uh, you, you have a, a podcast and website, I, I believe.
1: Yes, the which I run with Christopher Funderburg, and we have a podcast called the Pink Smoke Podcast, and on the social media forum at the Pink Smoke.
0: <laughs> and uh, I really love the Tiff episodes. Like wherever you guys do like uh, like a three hour episode, it it flies by. It, I I don't mean it like sometimes you see a long episode you're like oh no but with you guys it's like oh this will be great this will be like my entire day and it just feels it, it'll it just goes by like at the, at the at the perfect pace it doesn't feel like a slog which it can easily like other shows it, it does if they go too long
1: <laughs> it's good to hear when we record them all I can think is how long have I been fucking talking here Jesus I need to stop
0: <laughs> I think uh, the Argento one is it's five hours, four hours.
1: It's uh, it's up there, yeah. We tackled a lot of movies on that one. Yeah, but
0: uh, yeah, and uh, I was looking forward to whatever new episode is coming out. Uh, yeah, the one next one?
1: one's actually really good. It's uh, we got Marty Kessler on there. We're talking about Doc Savage. We read a Doc Savage book. Oh, cool. None of us had ever uh, read one before.
0: I love the book episode so
1: much. Those are my favorites to do, absolutely. Yeah. But,
0: uh, one of these days you guys gotta do, um, something like. I found some, like, genre African novels sporadically that I think might be fodder, but who knows? I actually have to get time to focus and read books again to see if it's, uh. But anyway, so, um. Yeah, uh, J Dog. Do you got stuff or no? Uh, nothing. Okay. Uh, I write for Grumpire. I wrote a piece on, um, Godfrey Cambridge uh, a few months ago in the spring. I wrote a piece about stormy weather a few months ago in the summer. It wasn't, no, it wasn't summer. I can't remember, but it was in the June, uh, May time period and I wrote uh, a, um, a blurb for the hip-hop uh, 50th, 50th anniversary thing that they did on um, how, how High, because that, that of course that's the thing I would pick for a hip-hop thing. And uh, yeah, so uh, I write for Grumpire, so sporadically I have stuff from Grumpire, and I have two blogs I don't update anymore because of time but uh, you can still read them if you feel like it they'll be in the description and that's it yeah that's it and uh yes uh, I don't know do what's coming out around this time because I don't really have a set schedule for anything so uh, listen to the podcast and uh, you'll see on social media what is coming out I usually do that so uh Thank you everyone and have a good safe night stop. Our theme music is by James Fell. Our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jimetsko on Threadless, TeePublic, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog, and Tee Theory. That is spelled G I M E T Z C O. You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.